tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Campbell's Football's podcast with your host Dr Grant Campbell. I'm joined for this episode by a man who has a massive love of Serie A football in Italy. It is aspiring sports journalist, writer Sam Brooks. Sam, a warm welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great to be on. Thank you. It's great to be uh, speaking with you on this uh, latest episode of the show. How have you been coping with coronavirus and everything that's changed in the world over the last six, seven months? Uh, yeah, obviously it's it's been a been a tricky year for, for most people. Um, been a bit of a, a bit of a strange one, but um, yeah, you know, just trying to cope as, as best as I can. Um, like the majority of the public, been a bit frustrating, sort of in and out of lockdowns, I suppose. But um, yeah, we just have to see how this how this latest lockdown goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, just to clarify, you're doing this from London, I take it, or are you in Italy itself? No, I'm I'm, I'm in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No, no, because I always like to ask because I know there's a lot of people who are enthusiasts of particular leagues, but actually are in the UK, and no, it's always someone I'd always like to clarify. How has COVID changed the way that you've had to adapt your working style? Um, well, I think um, with the with online writing, which is a lot of what I do, luckily that's still been. Uh, obviously that's easy to do and I guess a lot more people are using online stuff Uh, obviously we can't go to games at the moment Um, but then again there was a three month period where there was no football or any sports at all so um, you know things were a bit limited then but you know things are picking back up even with the latest lockdowns elite sport is still going on so there's still plenty to write about yeah absolutely when Serie A football was big um, back in the day there was so many really interesting characters wasn't there especially in the 90s and Gazzetta Football Italia was certainly a show I fell in love with right at the very beginning James Richardson an absolute idol of mine and absolute dream guest I'd love to have on my own podcast did you have that connection as well? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, so that was sort of the Channel 4 days. Um, you know, uh, I was born in the early 90s. So for me, it was like around 2000 and going into the early 2000s that I really got into Italian football. Um, you know, particularly sort of the Sunday afternoon stuff, uh, which is, you know, so typical in Italy. Um and yeah there were just so many as you say great characters and really sort of historic teams at the time um who who have seen you know some teams have sort of dropped away a little bit into Serie B and even Serie C but but there's there's so many like iconic teams in Italy I think which make the league so interesting yeah it's a very interesting league and as you say so many characters of yesteryear and of course of currently uh, that's very much worth keeping an eye on. Sam, it's great to have you on the show. We'll talk a little bit more about Serie A and Italian football throughout this podcast. But I'd like to just start off by asking you a couple of questions about your own journey in the world of football. And I always like to start off by asking my guests, what was their route in to football at the beginning? And what I want to know what yours was. Uh, so, so from childhood, is this? From childhood. Yeah, so as, as a child... Um yeah, I mean, I, I was a very sporty kid. I tried loads of sports, to be honest. Um, there was football. My, my main sports were football, cricket and swimming. Um, I was a fairly average footballer, to be honest with you. But um, but I did really enjoy um, 
you know, playing it as often as I could, be that in the back garden with, with family or, you know, out in the street with friends. Um, and it was just something that I loved playing most days, to be honest. So that, that's what I did. Um, and I don't play as much as I probably should now. I, you know, I should make time for it more um, in terms of playing. But I've always enjoyed... Um, lots of different sides to it you know as a teenager I was a football referee for a couple of years actually so that was quite interesting you know sort of <clears throat> learning the intricate rules of the game and um, you know seeing it from that perspective and then, and then you know just observing it as a fan um, and, and learning to analyse the sport in detail is, is something that I've done you know through my teenage years and now into my 20s um, and that's helped me with my writing so yeah that, that's pretty much my journey a really, from a kid through my teenage years. A yeah. really interesting breadth and interest there right across the board um, in terms of footballing knowledge statistics is my thing as well I, I'm really interested in the, the kind of nuances and variations and connections and relationships that football certainly has to offer and I'm glad that you you do that as well. What about inspirations and idols in terms of football in general or Italian football? Who were yours? Yeah, um, so the, the thing for me is that I, so I, I'm from South, uh, South England and there weren't actually many like big Premier League clubs near me growing up so I was someone who actually sort of idolised players more than teams really so if we're going for English players I was a big Shearer fan uh, Alan Shearer um, and so that is why I was a Newcastle fan um, throughout the you know 20 years since being a Newcastle fan I've, I've slightly regretted that <laughs> on, <laughs> on some occasions because we've been so he was my Eng the English player that I like. Uh, in terms of Italy, the first season I ever watched of Italian football was 2000-2001 when Roma won Serie A yeah. for only the third time. They haven't won it since. And that team contained Francesco Totti and Gabriel Battistuta, Vincenzo Montella, Marco Del Vecchio, some really talented forwards. So particularly Totti and Battistuta were players I really liked. And then, sort of into the early to mid 2000s, I really liked that Milan side, which contained the likes of Shevchenko. Um, he was a big player. Excellent. Uh, and like Pierlo and players like that. So, those Roma and Milan sides, there are a few players for them that really stood out for me. Yeah, I, I, I remember that Roma side from 2000s. And, uh, you know, I was, there's a video, I think, on YouTube of their victory over Parma that seals that third Scudetto title. Battistuta was a tremendous player, but Totti was the man I felt for Roma for so many years. But not just an attack, defensively, they were very strong. Cafu was unbelievable. You had Aldair in at the back, you had Candela, the, the Frenchman, Antonioli, the goalkeeper, a very, very strong. Roma side managed by Fabio Capello who you know has got his history is synonymous with 
Italian football, but Roma specifically. And you mentioned that Milan team, and you know a lot of great memories of following Milan myself, following certainly from Scotland, their battles with Celtic many years ago, the, the infamous Dida moment at uh, Celtic Park is the one that springs to my mind off the cuff here. But Shevchenko, I loved Filippo Inzaghi, he was a magnificent player. Pirlo, you mentioned, but defensively, that Milan team were so, so strong. You had Maldini, you had Nesta, you had Calazza, and they were so, so difficult to break down, and it's such a good squad. Yeah, I, I should have mentioned Maldini, actually, because he's a player who um, I really like, and, you know, I've been following football for 20 years. I don't think there's many better defenders I've seen during that period, so, yeah, uh, Paolo Maldini, certainly. Uh, deserves a mention as well. Yeah, absolutely. And around the 2000s, you know, we talked about Batistuta. I remember him sort of kind of getting out in the Fiorentina days. But that Juventus side back in the day were really strong as well, especially with likes of um, Nedved in midfield, Davids, Del Piero, Trezeguet was scoring loads of goals, Lazio were very strong. And I think a lot of young people like myself, and certainly yourself growing up, Italian football really was the sort of the creme de la creme of football. Nowadays, the English league has sort of taken over that now, but you still have some real characters in the Italian game, and I think we've been blessed, certainly over time, to have seen some brilliant players play in Serie A. Yeah, I think I think as you say, um, particularly sort of that late nineties, early two thousands period. Italian football was very strong and, and they did very well in the Champions League for example obviously 2003 we had the all Italian final between Juve and Milan uh, the game itself was dreadful it wasn't it but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know it, it showed how you know it, as you said you mentioned players who played in that game Maldini and, uh, and Pirlo and, and Inzaghi on Milan's side and then on, on Juve's side you had Ned Ben Davids um, and so on and uh, Buffon of course of course um, and, and then um, and, and yeah that Milan side carried on to obviously make the final in 05 lost that to Liverpool and then got revenge two years later so I, I do think yeah that early 2000s to mid 2000s period Italian football was very strong uh, and it has sort of sadly tailed off a little bit um, or, or quite significantly actually at times uh, over the last sort of 10 to 15 years but there are sort of glimmers of promise that it that it is coming back absolutely what does italian football mean to you sam because as a league as you've mentioned it had great highs sort of in the late 90s early 2000s and then this sort of gradual decline round till about sort of the late 2000s early 2010s and it's just maybe starting to get on the rise again yeah, I think, um, you know, like most football fans, there's always that element of nostalgia, really. And I think, like, you know, in, in the early 2000s when I got into it, it was a very strong league with so many good players and, and some really good sides around at that time. Um, and just sort of childhood memories of, like, watching that, uh, you know, with, with my dad and stuff like that. Um, that those those are just really fond memories I find so um, it is a shame that you know as you say in the early sort of 2010s things did sort of tail off a bit and the league wasn't as strong but I've always sort of kept that interest because I you know I sort of hope that it can get back to the levels it was at before in the 80s 90s and early 2000s um, and as you said there, there are some signs that 
that things are improving in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, and th there's some great historical clubs, of course. We mentioned Mil the two Milan clubs, AC and Inter, Juventus, Roma and Lazio, obviously. But there's some newer teams of, of not so of more recent history, I should say, really sort of coming alive in recent seasons. The rise of a team like Atalanta, for example, so exciting to watch. Napoli as well, a load of other teams of, of 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 new kind of creation sort of coming to fruition. Sassuolo being one of them, uh, and other teams like Parma making a resurgence, having gone out of business not that long ago. It's great to see some of these clubs really taking the fight to the the historical giants of yesteryear and still currently today. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and that's why I think um, I'm quite optimistic for Italian football, actually, because if I compare it to, obviously, the other leagues in um, uh, in Europe, the big ones, you know, for example, in England, you have sort of the, the big six, um, and then, you know, you have the Leicester and Wolves and stuff like that, so I guess there is decent strength in depth, but then in Spain, you have Barcelona, the two Madrid clubs in Sevilla, outside of that, I don't feel there's that much strength in depth. Germany is a bit limited as well but in Italy as you say both Milan clubs both Rome clubs Juventus Atalanta have been exceptional the last three or four years and are a personal favourite of mine um, you know for those people who don't watch them regularly I really suggest you do because they're, they're such an exciting team and, and a real breath of fresh air and then as you say Palmer who have been back in the league the last couple of seasons um, obviously they were an amazing team in the sort of late 90s um and then, and then things sort of fell apart a few years back when they went into bankruptcy and fell down the divisions. But now they're back. Um, and then, as you say, Napoli, with their history with Maradona and everything from the 80s, um, they have been very strong in recent years. And, and a team like Sassuolo, who, you know, a lot of people, I think, sort of see them as a bit of a mini Atalanta at the moment. And they've been really sort of building something quite special over the last 18 months. And I'm interested to see where that, where that side can go. One of the exciting things about Serie A and Italian football is how vocal and how vociferous the fans can be. I remember watching Gazetta back in the day and certainly fans of specific clubs like the flares, the fireworks, the colours. Um, it seems, certainly watching on TV, absolutely sensational. Uh, what do you think? I mean, some absolutely brilliant sets of fans on a load of different clubs. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think um, it's, it's a real shame at the moment, obviously, that there's no fans because I feel that the connection between the players and the fans in Italy um, is really quite significant and perhaps more... Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think there's a real connection between the players and the fans in Italy. Uh, and it's a massive shame at the moment that there aren't any fans or, you know, they've, they've had, they have sort of had like a thousand fans in the stadiums uh, in, in recent weeks at times. Um, uh, but but yeah, spurred on by their fans, um, and um, so I feel that in this period, perhaps it's been a little bit more of a struggle for them because they haven't had that extra backing from the supporters. Yeah, I mean, some of the stadia in Italy uh, are absolutely sensational. I've been to Naples. I've seen Napoli's ground. I've never actually been to some of these stadiums, but. Some of them are absolutely fantastic, aren't they? We mean, even the ones that are no longer with us, like the Deli Alpi at Juventus uh, with Torino, a terrific uh, ground. The Giuseppe Miazza, the San Siro, you know, it looks like that might not be much longer with us as well. A really iconic stadium, but there really is some fantastic grounds in Italy, isn't there? 
Yeah, there are. Um, I think a slight problem is that they're not maintained very well. And so, as you said, there's a lot of historic grounds like San Siro um, and San Paolo and Stadio Olimpico. But, you know, um, it does seem that San Siro is going to be you know, perhaps demolished and they build again, which would be a massive shame because it is such an iconic ground. Um, and, you know, Stadio Olimpico, there's been talk for years that, you know, Roma might move out and move elsewhere because obviously they currently uh, share that with Lazio. So, um, yeah, there's some really amazing grounds um, and you get a great view of the pitch and everything like that. Um, but there is just a concern that perhaps they haven't been maintained well enough over the years and we will see some more modern ones coming in um, in the not too distant future. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Frankie Stadium in Florence. Um, you know, I follow uh -huh, Fiorentina yeah. as one of my clubs here in Scotland, and uh, you know, obviously for the Batistuta connection, but a, a really great club and a really great um, kit as well. Very iconic purple and white and red. Really, really great club, but. There's some fantastic grounds. We, we may, even some of the the lower ranked sides in the league, like Lecce, Udinese, Venezia, some really interesting grounds. And a lot of the big teams in Serie A have always struggled going to these places and getting a result because their fans are right on top of the players. Yeah, as you say, there can be quite an intimidating atmosphere. I think I agree with you. I think the Frankie um, Fiorentina's home ground is is a really nice stadium. Um, I mean, Florence just in general is a pretty nice place. It so, is. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, as you say, some some places can be pretty difficult to go to when when you have sort of the fans on top of, you know, on top of the pitch almost. And um, yeah, I do like that about Italy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of writers, because you say you're an aspiring journalist and writer, do you follow the works of people like James Horncastle, who is massively into his Italian football? Yeah, of course. He, um, he's been making a big impact with The Athletic um, in recent years. And, yeah, of course, he follows it very closely. And there's obviously like Fabrizio Romano on Twitter, who has, uh, who has uh, made a big impact. Uh, you know, there are a few better in world football right now in terms of the transfer window. Um, Gianluca Di Marzio, um, another one who I follow quite closely, is pretty good with news. So, yeah, there are, there are a lot of good Italian journalists who you can follow closely and really know their Serie A football. Um, and, and yeah, have done excellently for themselves in recent years. I mean, I, I, I like Romano as well, but Horncastle's the one I follow the most, obviously because of his connections with Totally Football Show. Gabriele Marcotti as well is another one I, I follow quite a lot. But uh -huh. obviously the connection they have with James Richardson um, and of course with Italian football is really why I follow those guys closely. But you're absolutely spawned. They really do know their stuff. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. In terms of this season, because as we're recording this on the 5th of uh, November, you may be able to hear some uh, fireworks in the background here at my side. It really has been a, a very fascinating season in Serie A. As we're currently recording this, a half dozen games in. Milan sitting top with 16 points at the top from their first 18 available. Sassuolo second on 14. And then Juventus and Atalanta behind them on 12. What have you made of the start of the season in Italy, Sam? Yeah, I think I think this is the most open season in the last decade, to be honest with you. Um, I think perhaps that's a little bit to do with the fact that there are no fans. And as we've seen in all leagues across Europe, that does throw up some really surprising results. Um, 
but also I just feel that there's a few teams who it's really quite difficult to predict how their season will play out. I think obviously Juventus have won nine titles on the trot. They're going for ten, um, but haven't started particularly well. They have a new coach, obviously, in Pirlo, who, who is a bit of a rookie, to be honest. Um, obviously a great player, but we don't know how he'll be as a manager. And so they're still trying to find a bit of an identity under him, I think. Um they're very reliant on individual performances in games and I don't think they've um, they've really clicked as a team yet this season so we'll have to see if that changes um, and then I think a lot of people really fancied Inter to do, do well this year obviously they have Antonio Conte as manager mm-hmm. extremely experienced and, and has been successful pretty much everywhere he's gone but I, I wasn't impressed by Inter's business over the summer they opted to go for really experienced players like Vidal Kolarov uh, Matteo Darmian um, and, and I, I, I don't really like that I think experience is quite an overestimated quality sometimes um, I think these players are just a bit past their peak to be honest mm. uh, considering they were linked with Tonali Sandro Tonali who went to Milan mm-hmm. and Marash Kambula who went to Roma I wasn't impressed and they haven't started the season that well and have been very reliant on Lukaku to bail them out a few times so I have my reservations about Inter um, but then as you say Sassuolo undefeated in their first six games scoring three goals per game really excited to see how they end up um, table as Milan um, have been outstanding ever since the lockdown to be honest so the end of last season and the start of this one um, and, and look a really uh, you know well-structured team at the moment. Um, Stefano Pioli has proved a lot of people wrong during this period, um, and the team looks really settled. Um, and then you have Atalanta, who have had some dodgy results in yeah. recent times. You know, um, they they got thrashed by Liverpool recently, as as we're recording, as you say. Um, uh, and in the league, they lost to, heavily to Napoli and lost to Sampdoria. Um, so, so I'm interested to see how Atalanta do as well because I'm really rooted for them because they're a side that I've really grown fond of in recent years. Um, and then you have Napoli and Roma as well. So there's that's some really interesting sides to follow this season in Syria, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've watched Milan a couple of times this season, particularly in the Europa League against Celtic. I thought they were really, really strong at uh, Parkhead. Ibrahimovic ran the show. He's been a massive difference to Milan, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Um, Obviously, he came in January, and uh, you know Milan's last game of 2019, they lost 5-0 to Atalanta, and they were pitiful in that game. Um, and I think there were question marks about whether Pioli's job was at risk. That's right. Um, and, and now, at the start of November, that seems ridiculous because they've been outstanding throughout the year. Um, and yeah, Ibrahimovic obviously is a bit of a leader in that side. He's not the actual captain, uh, Romagnoli is, but he is a sort of leader in that side. I think he's brought the standards of the team up to try and match him. Um, and I just think that Milan now have a clip. They play a 4 2 3 1. They know the formation they want to play. They've got some quite good um, alternatives who can come off the bench and make an impact. And as we saw in the Celtic game when they did rotate the squad slightly, the performance levels didn't really dip so I, I really like what I'm seeing at the moment from Milan In terms of Juventus you mentioned that they uh, needed an over-reliance on key players the 
is that particularly go towards someone like Cristiano Ronaldo who has come across to Serie A bit of pressure on Juventus now with Ronaldo coming in almost feeling like he is the man to deliver on a regular if not every game basis but you know Juventus four points behind already and as you say Pirlo's first big job a big opportunity to get 10 league titles in a row for Juventus there's a good bit of pressure isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's become they expect to win the league every year. That's that's obviously they've won nine on the trot, so that's expected. I think that they're really desperate to win the Champions League because it's been like it's been about a quarter of a you know by the time twenty twenty one arrives, um, it will be a quarter of a century since they last won it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really desperate to end that run. Um, but yeah, you know, over the last couple of years, they've sort of played four three three quite a bit. Or last season they played a 4-3-2-1. This season Pirlo's come in and gone to a back three most of the time, um, sort of like it was when he was playing for Juventus. Um, Ronaldo obviously missed two or three games because he he contracted coronavirus, um, and they did miss him in that. Um, Dybala, Paolo Dybala started the season injured. Um, he was Serie MVP last season, was outstanding. Um, since he's come back the last few games he hasn't really hit the ground running um, and there's also there's also been some talks that his uh, contract extension that's sort of been stalling in recent times so he's got to sort of win the fans back over a little bit um, at the moment and so yeah last season Dybala and Ronaldo were such huge players for them and they haven't been able to make that big an impact this year for their separate reasons um and it's sort of shown that Juventus are heavily reliant on that pair. Yeah. You were mentioned about Atalanta and how exciting they are to watch. They've scored 17 goals so far as we're recording this, but they've also conceded 13, which is the highest inside the top half, which is uh, quite an astor- extraordinary statistic. One of my favourite players on the Atalanta side is uh, Josip Ilicic, who has been absolutely sensational. But there's a real quality about Atalanta, isn't there, particularly in the forward areas? Yeah, definitely. I mean... Um if you watch them, they play a three-four-two-one or three-four-one-two, um, and the two that normally play behind the striker. So Duban Zapata is the striker who's been excellent the last two years, but Jostipilicic and Papu Gomez, who is the captain, um, are phenomenal players. To be honest with you, um, complement each other very well. Tremendously skillful um, and really have a huge impact on that side. Um, now with that obviously they're, they're very good going forwards and it is a bit of a trade-off that they are vulnerable at the back um, and, and we've seen that this season some of the goals they've conceded have been really poor um, you know simple things like players not closing down shots um, they play quite a high line so quite easy to run in behind sometimes and we saw that in the Liverpool game um, I mean people who are watching that game who don't watch Atalanta often will sort of ridicule them and say oh mm. that's shocking defending how have they done so well um you know, I, they 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 have gone off the pace a little bit the last two or three weeks. Atalanta, um, not quite sure the reason for that. I think that they've had to rotate the wing backs a bit, who normally play Jerusalem for them as well. Um, so I think that sort of disrupted, uh, disrupted their rhythm. Um, but I don't think it's a long term problem. I think that they can get back. 
and if you watch them week in week out they really are a treat to watch I've been really interested to see a lot of English players coming across over to Italy particularly Ashley Young Chris Smollins of course been at Roma and even people like Ed and Dzeko who I thought were absolutely superb at Manchester City but he's now at Roma and he's been absolutely tremendous hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Uh, Dzeko's been there for five years now at Roma. And um, I always thought that City was under... Obviously, um, he was around at the time of Tevez, Aguero and Balotelli. And he was always seen as sort of third or fourth in that pecking order, I think. I agree. Um, but really, he is he is a very talented player. Um, pretty, uh, pretty good technically, holds the ball up well, bringing others into play. And for Roma, he's, he's really quite... Um, you know, one of the leaders in that team, and they're, and they're always pretty reliant on him. I mean, um, he very rarely gets rested despite being in his mid 30s now. Um, and yeah, he comes up with some crucial goals for, for a side that, you know, have sort of dipped in the last couple of years and are more of a Europa League team rather than Champions League now, I feel. Um, but yeah, he's such, he's such a key player for them. One side that particularly interests me are Hellas Verona, who have only conceded three goals so far in their first six matches, sitting on 11 points. What do you make of them this season so far? Yeah, well, I think um, this is Verona's second season back in Syria. Um, they came up a couple of years ago and were abysmal. They were truly shocking to watch and deserved to go down. Came back up slightly fortuitously. Um, but last season were, were a breath of fresh air. Um, they had uh, Sofiane Amrabat in central midfield, who was arguably the midfielder of the season. Um, and in defence, they had Amir and uh, Marash Kambula. Now, all three of them departed in the summer. Romani to Napoli, you can't get a game there at the moment. Amrabat's gone to Fiorentina and Kambula to Roma. Um, and I, I sort of feared for them a bit, to be honest. I thought, um, given how key those three players were, we might see a dip this season because they finished um, just inside the top half last year. Mm. But this season, they've remained uh, really strong defensively, as, as you mentioned. Um, they're bringing through some young players like Novato, who's, who's come into the side and done really well. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm interested to see how they continue because I did expect them to drop off, uh, and that hasn't been the case so far. And they played Juventus a couple of weeks ago, uh, as we speak, and and really really looked solid in that match. So uh, full credit to them. One of the stories of not just English football but world football was Leicester's title-winning success back in 2016. Claudio Ranieri, uh, the maestro behind that magnificent success, he's now managing at Sampdoria. What like is the has he done there? Would you say? I think he's done a really good job. Actually, um, he came in last season, taking over from Eusebio Di Francesco, the former Roma manager, and Sampdoria had a truly shocking start. Um, I think they won one of their seven games under Di Francesco, losing the other six. Um, and so, yeah, Ranieri came in really having to completely pick up the pieces. Uh, given that his previous jobs, you know. He had Fulham, who that didn't go well for him. And Roma, he also had to pick up the pieces a bit there, uh, interestingly, from Di Francesco as well. Um, but he sort of he went in, played a 4-4-2, quite, you know, a rigid formation, if you will. But he's got that team really organised. Um, they don't get hammered as much as they used to under Di Francesco. They were taking some beatings at times. Um, 
and yeah they've just become a much more difficult team to break down and I think we saw that in the Atalanta game in in um, in mid-October yeah you know, they won 3-1 didn't they they were they were absolutely they fantastic and, and uh, you know very few teams keep out Atalanta and you know Atalanta didn't score until about the 85th minute um, and Sampdoria just defended very well defended their box well making some crucial interceptions and then used the counter-attack exceptionally um, taking their goals really well so I think at the start of this season there were maybe some fears that they could be dragged into a bit of a relegation scrap because um, they have sold some key players over the years, having been a mid-table club a couple of seasons ago. Um, but I do feel that they could finish it around mid-table again this season. Yeah. We mentioned about Roma already, but the, the, the Rome clubs, Lazio have not had a particularly strong start. They're sitting mid-table on 10 points. And of course, Lazio had that two incredible matches with Celtic in the Europa League last season, losing on both occasions, but really giving a very interesting account. What have you made of their start to the season? Well, Lazio are another really good side to watch, actually. Uh, they play a 3-5-2 or 3-5-1-1, uh, and their midfield is really good with Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, and then... And then Chiro Immobile up top, who, um, is, who was banging in the goals last year, got Serie A top goal scorer. I'm surprised um, he's still there, to be honest. I really wanted him to come to someone like Manchester United. I think he would score a load of goals and would have been, in my mind, an excellent replacement for Lukaku. Yeah, I think just Immobile, um, he's just done so well at Lazio. Um, he's a team that really suits him. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think lockdown came at a horrible point for them last season because they were absolutely flying and they really sort of, um, you know, sort of capitulated, to be honest, the back end of last season, lost half their games after lockdown and looked a shadow of the team that they were from sort of November through mm. till uh, March. Um, but yeah, as you say, they started this season poorly, but I think this also brings in the fact that this season could come down to a lot of luck to be honest because it depends on injuries and it depends on covid cases yes they, they had a, they had a bit of a covid outbreak mm. recently where they lost a load of players they've also been very unfortunate with injuries and my worry for that show is that the squad is quite thin so when they are missing sort of four or five players the performance of the whole side really dips and I think we saw that with early season defeats to Atalanta and Sampdoria um, but uh, this past weekend as we speak they played Torino 1-4-3 uh, extraordinary that, game extraordinary uh, game because they were 3-2 down after what 92 minutes and ended up winning the game in 98 minutes it was quite an astonishing yeah, they, turnaround they were 3-2 down after 95 minutes oh it was 95 and, minutes um, yeah, it was a crazy finish. For me, it was the game of the season so far. Um, really good. Not much great defending, admittedly, <laughs> but um, just really entertaining match uh, with a crazy finish. Felipe Caicedo with a last-minute winner. He's become accustomed to that over the last year. He's done that sort of four or five times, actually. Um, so, yeah, and I really like Simone Inzaghi as a manager. Uh, mm. Pippo's brother, sort of, the more, the, sorry, the less talked about of the two Inzaghi brothers, but um, in their playing days, I mean, but a really talented manager. Uh, I think Lazio will probably this season finish in the Europa League places, to be honest. Mm. But um, but you never know when when they do get a full strength time, uh, team on the pitch, they're a match for anyone. I want to ask you about Sc the Scottish-based player who's now playing in Bologna colours, Aaron Hickey, because 
he obviously had a had spell at Hearts in Scotland, and I really liked him. What have you made of him over in Italy so far? Yeah, I think he's made a pretty positive start, and um, you know, it may sound that I'm just like uh, tooting the trumpet here, is, is that if that's the phrase. But Bologna are another really good team to watch. Um, Again, they haven't kept a clean sheet in a year. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think it's been 39 games now as we speak. Um, but I wouldn't blame that all on Hickey. He's only been there half a dozen of those. Um, but no, he is a talented player. Um, you know, Scotland have a number of really good left backs with obviously Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he's a promising player. Um, and he seems to have really sort of fully established himself as the starting left back in that Bologna side. So I'm interested to see how he progresses. What something that's really interesting me are some of the newer sides who have come up to Serie A, particularly Benevento and Spezia. What have you made of their starts to life in Serie A? Yeah, well, Benevento obviously were in the league two or three seasons ago and had a bit of a shocker, to be honest. And particularly before Christmas, it all went wrong. They didn't win a game uh, and were relegated by about February. Um, this season, I'm more optimistic for them. They've made some decent signings, um, got a bit of sort of experience in there, but, but good experience, you know, some players who aren't past their best. Um, and, yeah, I, I quite like the look of them, and I think they... I think they might just about be okay um, in terms of not getting relegated this time. Uh, with Spezia, obviously that's a great story for them. Um, first time they've ever been in Syria. Um, I think a lot of people really expected them to struggle, and I think they probably will, but they've already done themselves justice in the first few games. Um, they've had a couple of 4-1 defeats, actually, to Sassuolo and Juventus, but... Um, in those games they have been at one all after about the hour mark um, so it has shown that they can compete with sides and now they need to show they can compete with sides for full games uh, but they, they already have a win over Udinese this really that we won at Udinese mm-hmm. yeah a, a couple of draws um, so I don't think they're going to sort of yeah, I think I think there were some who worried that they even get like 15-20 points I think that they, they might do okay but ultimately we'll be being a relegation uh, at the moment Crotone are bottom of the league um, Are you? did you expect that um, they've only picked up the one point so far do you expect them to struggle this season yeah I did expect that um, they were in the league obviously three or four years ago they had a great escape one season uh, and nearly managed it the next year as well actually but they did eventually go down um, they're, be- they're back now um, but they look a limited side to be honest um and I, I do fear for them. Obviously, as you say, only one games, um, so it's been a poor start, and, and I expect them to, to struggle a bit this year. And completing the bottom three at the moment are Torino and Udinese, two sides I've always seen as synonymous with Serie A. Is this just early season kind of nerves? Early season getting up and running, or is this what again what you expected to see? These two sides struggling down near the foot of the table. Well, Torino's a really interesting one, to be honest, because a couple of seasons ago, they made the Europa League. Uh, they got knocked out in uh, um, the qualifying round by Wolves. 
tanks. But, you know, they gave a good account of themselves and Wolves were a very good team in their own right. But then last season they dropped off dramatically um, and only avoided relegation with like a couple of games to spare. And it was really what the, the amount of reliance they have on, Andre, on Andrea Bellotti, their striker, um, is a real concern. Um, and then this season they brought in Marco Giampaolo, who was really good at Sampdoria for about three seasons, um, established them as a mid-table, even up to sort of eighth or ninth place side, um, but then went to Milan uh, in the summer of 2019, had a shocking start there and was sacked after a couple of months. And he seems to have lost his mojo a bit, and that's transferred to Torino, who have had a poor start. Um, barely been able to pick up a point, but they did... Um, as we speak, they did beat Udinese recently to get their first win. So maybe that can lift the side. Because I think with the players they've got, they should be a mid-table team, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, again, he's come in with his plans, playing a different formation, and it's taking time. I hope he gets given a bit of time, because I think that Giampaolo showed at Sampdoria that he can be a good manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with regards to Udinese... Um, They've been down there for a while. So, uh, you know, in terms of the last few seasons, they've been about 15, 16. So I did expect them to be around about this position. They can be an entertaining team to watch, but this just seems to be around about their level at the moment. And of course, what I love about Udinese is the fact that Andrea Di Natale played there for so many years and was just an absolutely terrific player. I was just having a quick glance at Serie B. Uh, Empoli and Chievo and Frosinone are the early pace setters in that league. Out of all the teams in Serie B, Sam, who do you expect to be challenging to get straight back up to Serie A? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's normally, um, you know, Serie B is it's, it's quite an open league and there's normally not that much in it, although last year Benevento completely ran away with it. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, Chievo... Uh, you know, they went down a couple of seasons ago, so I, I think that. Uh, but but historically, they've they've been in Syria for quite a number mm-hmm. of years um, since the two thousands. They were I really good around right about the early two thousands, weren't they? With uh, some fantastic players like Karadi and Maratsina in particular, really lighting up uh, the league. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I, I think, like you know, in the couple of seasons before they went down. Um, they were just a team going nowhere really a lack of ambition um not really signing many good players and so i, I sometimes think that a, a team going down can be a, a good thing for them perhaps because they just get to start afresh and you know just just start again and, and, and it really shows them oh we need to step up we can't just keep doing the same thing so i think kievo will be there or thereabouts uh empoli when they came up a couple of seasons ago I like them actually and they've had a number of players who, who are now in Syria playing for different clubs who have really flourished like Ben Acer at Empoli uh, sorry who was at Empoli now at Milan he's now one of the best central midfielders in Syria um, and there are others as well from that side so uh, so it would be good to see Empoli get back up and then you have Frosinone again a team who were up there a couple of seasons ago and didn't really you know, a bit of a nothing season, to be honest, where I expected a bit more from them and they didn't quite do it for me. Um, but last season, they nearly came up under Alessandro Nesta. Um, and so this season, we'll, we'll see how they get on. Mm-hmm. Predictions time. Um, who do you think is going to win Serie A if you had to push you for a team to win it at the moment? Uh, I, I honestly don't have a clue, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's my honest answer. No, I... I I don't know to be honest. I um, 
know it sounds boring, but I'll probably have to go Juventus. Um, just just because they do they do seem to find a way. But I'm really hoping that Milan can maintain this form. Well, by really I think Milan can do it. That's my personal view, and I think the reason for that is because of Zlatan. But that's just my opinion. But I think it's good that, to see teams giving Juventus a bit of a challenge, albeit early days. But you know, everybody expects Juve to do it in the same way that everybody expects Paris Saint Germain to win the French League or Barcelona or Real Madrid to win the Spanish League. So we'll just have to see. But uh, I'm intrigued yeah. to think you think Juventus will do. It. Yeah, I think um, I think that the difference is that Juventus don't often, well, certainly in recent years, haven't really run away with it that much. Obviously, in, as you say, with Paris Saint-Germain and, and Bayern Munich, for example, they do tend to run away with it a bit. But, you know, Juve have been challenged by Napoli and before then Roma. And, yeah, may, maybe this season Milan will be the team to do that. I think... Um, with Milan, you know, they did have the first three games were, were, was quite a nice fixture list for them. Then they did beat Inter and drew with Roma. So they have shown that they can do well against the big sides. But obviously there's over 30 games to go as we speak. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, and I think Atalanta... Um, could do well. I think Napoli have all the ingredients to do well, but they have had a couple of games recently where, you know, AZ Almar in the Europa League, they lost 1-0 and Sassuolo on the weekend, they lost 2-0 and they do tend to waste quite a few chances, which, which is a bit of a mm. concern because you do have to be ruthless if you're really going to push to that next level and, and challenge for the title. Um, so I think there could be four or five teams in the mix to be honest, but um, but I'd have to just favour you, Mantis. Let's talk about Italian clubs in Europe because we're halfway through the Champions League and the Europa League uh, as we are recording this. In the Champions League, Inter Milan have been in an absolutely horrendous group with Munchi Gladbach, Shakhtar and Real Madrid. Atalanta have been involved with Liverpool, Ajax and Michelin. Lazio in with Dortmund, Club Bruges and Zenit Spearsburg and Juventus in with Barcelona, Kiev and Ferenc Varos. Out of all the Italian clubs in the Champions League, who do you expect to go the furthest in the competition? Uh, well, looking at it now, I think probably Juventus. Um, just on the fact that I think as we stand at, at the halfway point, I'm only confident that... Um, because I think Inter, has a, Inter have a massive challenge on their hands. Uh, the thing with Conte is he's never tended to do that well in Europe, to be honest. Mm. Um, and Inter haven't, you know, the last couple of seasons, Inter haven't made it out of the group stage um, and, have, and have dropped into the Europa League. Which they nearly um, won last year, do, of course, but uh, didn't beat Sevilla, of course, in the final. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and I do sort of fear for them a, a little bit this season. Um, obviously, they've got two points in their first three games. Um, and, and yeah, so that they've still got Real Madrid to host and, and to go to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So uh, I'm not confident they'll get through. And then with Atalanta, the way the group's shaping up, obviously they got thrashed by Liverpool uh, at home. It looks like they're going to have to go to Amsterdam on the final game day and get a result against mm. Ajax, uh, which will be no easy task. Um, but so yeah, that's difficult to pre uh, predict. I think Lazio will get through their group. They've had a good start, um, and, and full credit to them actually, because against Club Bruges, they had to name a severely depleted squad because of so many injuries and so many COVID cases, and they got a draw from that game against Dynamo Kiev. 
again, it was so it was it was a few players short of a full strength side, and they got another point, and those were both away games. Mm-hmm. So having got five points from three games, with two of those being away, I expect them to go through probably as runners up to Borussia Dortmund. But they did a great um, win against Dortmund in the match they won, didn't they, at uh, the Olympico? And, and that's what I mean by when they get a full strength side on the pitch, they can be a match for anyone because mm-hmm. they comfortably beat Dortmund and look really good in that game, having had pretty much a full strength side. Um, and then you move on to Juventus. It looks like Barcelona will probably top that group, and I think Juventus will quite comfortably get second. Um, and then obviously a bit of luck of the draw with the last sixteen. You know, if Juve and Lazio do finish second and potentially Atalanta finish second they will fit, they will face group winners uh, which could put them against a really tough side so um, we'll have to see how that pans out but at the moment I'd say probably Juventus are slight favourites to do the best In the Europa League it's uh, very interesting as well Roma are top of their group with 7 points after just as we're live recording this had a good win against uh, Club Bruges tonight um, some other interesting results Napoli are top of Group F but a really in- interesting group with Alkmaar, Sociedad and Rijeka a lot of Aberdeen fans will remember Rijeka well AC Milan we've talked a lot about them tonight they're top of Group H they're in Celtic's group with Lille and Sparta Prague and uh, yeah it's, it's, it's really interesting the Italian clubs in the Europa League have done fairly well so far yeah, I think so, and I think it shows the strength and depth that Napoli and Milan have. They've rotated their squads nicely. Um, Napoli did lose at home to AZ Alkmaar earlier in the group, um, which was an unfortunate result, to be honest. If you look at the stats, they did dominate much of the game. Um, but I expect them to still get through that group. Uh, Roma, I think, are a little bit more limited in terms of squad depth, but as you said, they got a good win tonight against Cluj. Um, and, and we'll probably get through that group. And then Milan have been really strong so far, rotating the squad very nicely. Um, got good wins against Celtic and Sparta Prague in their first couple of games. Um, so I expect all three teams to make it through the group. And I think with those sides, you know, the Europa League is a competition that they could expect to go far in, um, to go yeah pretty far in. So I think. Um, They'll all take it pretty seriously once they do get through, and and all of them have a decent chance of uh, you know getting into the latter stages. Is is it frustrating for you as a fan of Italian football that an Italian club has not won a European competition for so long? I know Inter won the Champions League famously under Mourinho, but it feels like such a long time since Juventus, as you mentioned, have not won it. They've been in the final a couple of times, but haven't gone over the line. Inter, of course, lost the recent Europa League final to Sevilla. That must be a bit of a frustration for you as an Italian football fanatic and follower, seeing their sides get to close in tournaments but just not get over the line. Yeah, of course you want to see, um, you know, an, an Italian team move to the next level because you want to see Serie A shown to be the great league that it is. Um, and I think, as you said, with Juventus, I think Juventus have had like four finals since they last won it and lost them all. Um, Inter, as you say, won the Champions League in 2010, but have come nowhere near to winning that since and actually dropped out of the Champions League places for a few years. Um, but, you know, last season we saw Atalanta make the quarterfinals and push PSG all the way. And I think, you know, if people were watching those games closely, they'll have seen that Atalanta are a breath of fresh air and, and really did Serie A proud. And Inter in the Europa League made the final and, you know, just lost to Sevilla in a really a really close and entertaining game so I think we're seeing 
over the last sort of season or so that Syria is a really strong league mm-hmm. um, and has some has some really good sides in it. Um, and now we just need to push to that next level and see if they can, um, um, you know, start to win the Champions League or Europa League. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of head into the international scene now because when I spoke with Alvaro Romeo about Spain, he was very optimistic about the future of Spain on the international stage. Where are Italy at the moment for you on an international scale? Yeah, I think uh, there's been a lot of positivity around Italy over the last um, sort of year or 18 months, obviously managed by Roberto Mancini now. you know, uh, sort of three years ago, things were looking really bleak, actually. They were playing under Giampiero Ventura. Um, they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, of course. And, um, yeah, there were just some really strange tactical decisions being made and things look really poor. Um, but under Mancini, they have had a resurgence. Um, there's a lot of good players coming through, a fairly... Um, uh, yeah, plenty of talented players I feel and so I'm quite optimistic for their future do you think the next Euros hopefully Euro 2021 depending on uh, coronavirus do you think that poses Italy's best chance to win a major tournament for quite a number of years uh, quite possibly I mean um, I think in Euro 2016 obviously they were under um, Conte at that time it wasn't a strong squad at all but Conte got the absolute maximum out of that squad and in the end they went out on penalties to Germany in the quarterfinals um, and we're, yeah they're a bit unlucky didn't make 2018 this coming tournament I think there's some obvious strengths and some obvious weaknesses in this side I think um, I'm not convinced by the fullbacks I think that's a bit of a weakness um, and central defence they've got some really strong defenders obviously Leonardo Manucci Giorgio Chiellini and Francesco Acerbi. However, all those players are now well into their 30s. And so, you know, they've got a lot of miles on the clock and, and are a bit past their best. So I'm, I'm hoping they can sort of hang on for another year, but, but we'll have to see. Um, and then I think wingers-wise, there, there's slight concerns about who their best wingers are. Um, and then you have Chiro Immobile, amazing for Lazio, can't quite seem to do it at the same level for, for Italy. So whilst there are quite a few sort of areas of concern, but then central midfield is a really strong position for Italy. It seems the first choice at the moment seems to be Giorginio, Marco Verratti and Nicolo Barella, uh, a player at Inter who I absolutely love. I think he's a great player. And th- but then they also have uh, Manuel Locatelli coming through from Sassuolo, uh, Stefano Sensi when he can stay fit, Gaetano Castrovilli from Fiorentina and Sandro Tonali at Milan. So uh, some outstanding options in that area I don't think there's many countries with better options in that central midfield area and central midfield is really key to any game so that will give them a chance in most games and then the goalkeeping position obviously they have Donnarumma a 21 year old keeper who's outstanding um, for his years and just an outstanding keeper in general and they have strength in depth in that position with the likes of Sirigu uh, Alessio Cranio and Cagliari um um, Peran, Golini, so many players in that position as well. So um, I think with goalkeeper in midfield, you know, that sort of spikes the team. And if the central defence can stay fit and healthy, um, 
then they're a team that, that can push on and, and have a good Euros next mm. year. Well, it's going to be very exciting to see how Italy get on on the domestic and international stage over the next 12 to 18 months. And Sam is one of the best guys in the business to follow on all our current affairs Italian football. Give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, which you can find at Sam underscore Brooks 2 on Twitter. Aspiring sports journalist, Serie A enthusiast and written for a range of outlets and you do an absolutely terrific job, Sam. So it's been really great to have you uh, on Campbell's Footballs. What does the future hold for yourself? We're coming to the end of the show. Um, what does the future hold for yourself? Because a really exciting time for you at the moment, especially on Italian football affairs. Yeah, well, as you say, I'm writing for uh, a few different outlets and... Um you know, at the moment, it's sort of on, on, on a, on a part-time basis, doing things on the side. Um, I'd love to go into it full-time. Um, and so, I'm, you know, always looking for opportunities. Um, and Italian football is something I'm very passionate about. So if it were to come in that field, that would be outstanding. But, um, you know, I, I, I really like a number of sports, to be honest. And so, yeah, any sort of sports journalism I'm really keen to get involved in because... Um, it's a really, it's a really great field. Um, I think once you get your foot in the door, and um, you know, you can make plenty of connections. And, and so, uh, I'm really interested and you know, excited to see what the future holds for me. I think. Yeah, really excited, and I, I, as I said, I really enjoy Italian football as well. And I've really enjoyed our discussion, Sam. Thanks for being a part of the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I've really enjoyed our chat. No problem. Thank you. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, or Instagram, or other social media channels. But until then, until next time... I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a DJ.